Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to tune into our current series, Built for More, Church Beyond the Weekend, where we will see what the Psalms teaches us about how life is enriched when we live and serve in community with our church family. With that being said, uh, we're in Psalm 67 this morning. We're wrapping up our series that we've called Built for More, where we've been kind of looking together at how God has designed his community of people and how he's built us uh, in some ways for more than uh, and, and some of the things he wants to do through us. And we've been studying through the Psalms together to kind of uh, engage some ideas around uh, what God wants to show us as a church and as a community. And so this morning, we find ourselves in Psalm 67. What I'm going to do is take a moment and just read the whole passage so we can all hear it together, and then we'll kind of jump in and study it together. So Psalm 67 says this, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Amen. Several years ago now, uh, Catherine Hyde uh, released a book. You might have heard of the title that was called Pay It Forward. It was a pretty well-known book at the time after it came out. And in the book, Catherine Hyde tells the story of a young boy named Trevor McKinney. Trevor McKinney is a little 12-year-old boy. And one day, um, prompted by his teacher for a school uh, project, a little Trevor comes up with the idea of paying it forward. It's a pretty simple idea. Essentially, Trevor was going to do three acts of kindness for three different kind of people or strangers around that he knew. And instead of asking for a favor back in return, Trevor essentially asked them to go and find three other people and to pay it forward, to go do something kind and generous towards them. And in the book, uh, Trevor's idea kind of sparks a movement of paying it forward, and it grows and grows as people kind of receive acts of kindness from others and then turn and find other people to pay it forward to, to show uh, kindness towards. And Hyde's concept and the book were a huge hit. Um, it, was, it became a, a best-selling book, and it, it actually turned into uh, a, a movie that maybe you've seen with that little kid from The Sixth Sense. Well, I guess he's not little now. I can never remember his name. But, um, but it was kind of like a, a big moment several years ago. But um, the, the reality is that I, I don't think Catherine Hyde was actually the inventor of the idea of paying it forward, that we would actually receive something that we would then turn and use it as an opportunity to potentially bless someone else. I would actually argue that that is an idea or concept that God has called his people to for many, many, many years. That we, as the community of God, are called to be the sort of people that pay it forward. I don't know if you've ever stopped to really think for a moment about why does God give us what he gives us? Why does he bless you? Why does he bless me? Why does he bless us as the church, as his people? 
You know, many times if you're around the church, you'll hear people talk about God's blessing. We're asked that God would bless us, that God would provide, that God would do um, these sorts of things. And I think it's easy for us sometimes to really think about the idea of blessing, but, but not really pause and get to the deeper reality to say, what is kind of the larger purpose? Why does God bless his church? Why does God bless his people? Why does God bless you? Well, in Psalm 67, we begin to see one of the main reasons for why God blesses his people. And if I can borrow from Catherine Hyde, God blesses his people so we can pay it forward. Or maybe you might say it this way. If I was kind of to give you the uh, big idea from our text that we're looking at this morning, it would maybe be this, that God blesses his people for the good of the nations. God blesses his people for the good of the nations. That the way God has designed his community and why he interacts and provides for him in the way he does is not ultimately just for the sake of the community of people that follow God, but it is ultimately for a blessing for the peoples around us. When we use the term nations, and you're going to see the term nations in this text, we're not talking about geopolitical nations like America or Germany or China. That's not what the Bible means when it uses the term nations. What the Bible means is ethnic groups, people that have a common culture or ethnicity that they share together. And when you see that, you realize that there are literally thousands of nations in the world today, but that God ultimately has chosen his people in order to be a blessing for the nations. We see this idea emerge not only from this text, which we just read, but we actually see this idea emerge from the very structure of the psalm itself. Remember, the psalms are a collection of songs and poems that the nation of Israel would have used to gather and to pray and to worship God. And Psalm 67 is, like many, in fact, structured as a song. You can see that right at the superscription before the text begins, where it says that this is to the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm or a song. So the structure of the passage itself is it's not uh, written in a, a typical linear way. It's written like poetry. And because it's written like poetry, it actually has a very unique structure that kind of helps us see that main idea emerge. Now, I know you didn't come for a lesson on Hebrew poetry, but I actually think this is really important for you to see so that you can kind of understand what the psalmist is getting at when he wrote this song. So, like I said, when, when we often structure ideas in our kind of Western thought, we like linear. We like things to be deducted. We like things to go A, then B, then C, then D. But in ancient Jewish poetry, which has a much more circular form of reasoning, one of the things that they like to do when it comes to exploring an idea is to actually draw you kind of towards a centering point and then draw ideas out from it. The formal term is chiasm. It's, this psalm is what would be known as a chiasm. 
And chiasm is a way in which you structure an idea with parallel statements to kind of draw you to a centering point and then kind of explore those ideas from there. So instead of A, then B, then C, then D, in a chiasm, you would go A, then B, then C, then back to B, then back to A. You kind of build to the center and build back out. Or maybe you could think of it a simple way as like the letter X, which kind of forms chiasm, right? Like it's an X, you move to the center, you move back out. Or maybe if we put it in a, 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 our kind of modern understandings of poem and songs, if you thought of Psalm 67 like a song, it would go verse, then chorus, then bridge, then back to the chorus, and then it would end on the verse. That's actually how the psalm is structured. And when you look at it visually, you can actually see this structure start to emerge. Here, I'll show you the passage with a little color coordination to kind of help you, right? So the outer stanzas parallel one another. They explore the idea of God's blessing. It begins with the idea of blessing. It ends with the idea of God's blessing. There are then two inner stanzas that essentially almost form like a chorus. They repeat each other verbatim. And then ultimately there's a centering point, which is kind of the central idea of the psalm that you build towards and you build back out from. And when you see this structure, you begin to see that kind of main idea start to emerge. The psalm begins and ends, like I said, with statements celebrating God's blessing. But when it gets down to the middle point, it calls for celebration among the nations. And so the psalm, even in the way it's structured, is trying to reinforce to us that God blesses his people for the good, for the joy, for the celebration of the nations. This is really what Psalm 67 wants to remind us of who we are and what God does amongst us. But I think the appropriate question then, when you start to see this big idea, is then to say, well, how does this happen? How can we as God's people today, if this is what God does amongst his people, how can we continue to be the sort of people that bring blessing to the nations? Well, and that's why we want to study this text this morning. Because in this psalm, it not only shows us that great idea, but it helps us to understand how we can live it out together. How we are actually built for more. So let's jump in and we'll kind of pick apart these different sections together and understand what God has to teach us about how we can be a blessing to the nations. Again, when you read, you want to parallel the kind of two statements. So if you look at verses 1 and 2 and verse 6 and 7, you kind of see the main first point emerge from the psalm. It says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all nations. Now jump to verse 6. We see that idea re-engaged. The earth has yielded its increase. God our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. So the place that the psalm begins or ends in helping us to understand how we can be a people that blesses the nation is that you and I are called to pray for God's blessing for the nations. The psalm begins with a tone of prayer. A prayer that God would continue to bless his people. The opening actually is taken from another 
passage, a more well-known passage in uh, the, uh, the minds of its original hearers. The uh, first phrase is taken from Numbers chapter 6. And Numbers chapter 6 is where God actually gives a blessing to the priests of Israel that is meant to be spoken over the nation. I actually want to read it just for a second so you can hear kind of how it informs how this psalm begins. So this is number chapter 6. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and and I will bless them. So the psalmist takes this priestly blessing that God had given over his people, and he essentially begins his psalm by praying that blessing for the nation. Look again, right? He says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. But when he calls us into that place, as he kind of appropriates this blessing, he actually is inviting us to pray that prayer for ourselves and for our community. You can actually see it in some of the way he changes his prayer compared to the original one. For instance, instead of simply pronouncing a blessing over the people, he now invites prayer for the people. May God do this for us. He also shifts the idea originally from just speaking about you to now personalizing it to us. May God do this for us. What he's inviting us into from the get-go is to personalize God's blessing for ourselves, to pray for it and to seek it. And he helps us to see what is the focal point of what we are ultimately praying for, where he says that God would make his face to shine upon us. That what we seek and pray for is that God's favor and presence would come upon our lives and our community. Because it is God's favor and presence that is our ultimate blessing. Because it's from his presence that we receive life and joy and goodness, even the things we just celebrated together. Willem van Gemmeren, an Old Testament scholar on this passage, says that the blessing of God makes life on earth not only possible, but also enjoyable. That what he's praying for is not that God would just give us stuff so we can live, but that God's favor would be upon us, that we might experience the joy and flourishing of life that God intended for us when he made us. And so there's this invitation from the get-go of the psalm, pray, pray for God's blessing. But the prayer for God's blessing is quickly connected with the larger purpose in verse 2. That you may, that your way may be known on the earth and your saving power among all nations. The reason we pray for God's blessing is not just for ourselves, 
but that God would work in such a way to bring his larger blessing to the world around us. In many ways, the psalmist is connecting with the very essence of why God has called and designed his people. If you go back to Genesis chapter 12, with God first calls Abraham and says that through him, he is going to form a people, a nation through whom he is going to work, we see that God's ultimate purpose in that instance was to bless the entire world. This is what God says in his original promise to Abraham. He says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You see, God's original design for his community, that those would be his people, was ultimately that he would work through them for the sake of the nations, to be a blessing to all the families and people of the earth. This is God's larger purpose. And when we pray and seek God's blessing, we must keep it connected with God's larger purpose for us. That God does not just bless us for ourselves, but he blesses us so that we can be a blessing to those around us. And so, you might think of it a little bit like like this, right? Why it's important for us to remember the purpose of why God blesses us. Imagine with me for a minute that my son uh, came with me, came up to me and asked me for $50. Now, this isn't something that he would normally do, right? And so my son's 11. And so just imagine with me for a moment, he came up to me, he said, Dad, can I have 50 bucks, right? Now, my initial gut reaction is to say no, but that's just because I'm cheap, right? But, but just imagine with me for a second, I said, oh, oh, well, that's a lot of money, bud. Why, why do you want $50? And he said, well, mom's birthday's coming up in a few weeks, and I really would like to buy her a really nice gift. Well, at that point, I'd probably be impressed with my son, right? Like, oh, that's very thoughtful. Yeah, like, I love that you ultimately want to buy your mom a nice present for her birthday. And so, you know, unwillingly as I can, I fork over $50 and I say, go, find something nice that you can buy your mom for her birthday. Now imagine a few weeks pass by, it comes times for my wife's birthday and we're sitting around as a family and we're opening presents and lo and behold, we get to my son's present and my wife opens it and it's like a $2 trinket from Dollar General. I'm like... Hey, bro, what happened to the 50 bucks I gave you? Like, and he was like, well, I just bought mom this and then I spent the rest on myself. How do you think I'd feel in that moment? You th- think I'd be like, oh, that's cool. No, not at all, right? I'd be frustrated. Why? Because my son forgot the purpose for why I gave him the $50 in the first place. My blessing and provision for him was so that he could go and bless his mom. But instead, he took it and he forgot the purpose for why I gave it to him. Now, imagine if it happened in reverse, though. Imagine the time comes and she opens up this beautiful gift and she loves it and he found the most meaningful thing for her and she was just so excited and felt so blessed that he had the time and resources to go and to buy this present for her. And then I I found out later that it actually only cost $47 and he kept the $3 for himself. How would I feel at that point? I probably wouldn't care because the blessing I gave him was connected with the purpose for which it was intended. And at that point, even that he received a little bit extra, we, I'd be okay with that. You see, the purpose of the blessing 
is what helps us or helps us to see why the blessing is given in the first place. When God blesses his people, and he certainly blesses us, he provides for us, he gives us material things, he gives us spiritual things, he provides for us Christ, he provides for us all sorts of things, but we have to be careful to not disconnect God's blessing from its larger purpose. And his larger purpose is that through his people, he would bring blessing to the nations. So when you pray, or when I pray for God's blessing, do you pray in connection with that larger purpose? Do you ask for God's favor on your life, not just so you can enjoy it, not so you can just give a little trinket to someone else, but that you could be a conduit through which God would work to bless others around you. When you receive blessing in your life, in whatever way that comes, maybe gifts, maybe a paycheck, maybe in resources that God's given you, maybe in things and work that he's done spiritually or emotionally in your life. Do you just see those as things that you say like, I'm awesome, look what God's done for me? Or do you recognize that God actually has a larger purpose for the way he works amongst his people to be a blessing to those around them? You see, it's appropriate to, for us to pray for God's blessing but we can't do it in a way that disconnects it from its larger purpose. That's why even here at our church, we always want to seek to be the sort of church that is generous with the resources that God gives us, that looks and say, how can we be a blessing to the community around us? How can we be a blessing even to those around the world? Yes, I pray that God blesses us here at Woodside, but not for us but that ultimately he would work through us and through his whole church to be a blessing to the nations. But that's just the first part of the psalm. The psalm continues to show us how we can continue to be a blessing for the nation. And in verse 3, we kind of pick up the chorus of the song. It says this, Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And that chorus is repeated in verse 5. So again, if, if you were thinking of this as a song, verse 3 and 5 are kind of like the catchy part that gets stuck in your head that you just kind of sing over and over and over to yourself. Like, oh yeah, let the nations, you know... Um, let the peoples praise you, O God. And so the, the psalm, though, continues to help show us in its chorus how we can be a blessing. So we pray for the blessing of God's nations, but the second thing we do is we call for God's praise among the nations. The chorus of the psalm calls all people everywhere to praise God. Notice the global nature of the call in the psalm that all the peoples would praise our great God. It reminds us that God is not meant to just be praised and enjoyed by one group of people, but that our God is a God of the whole world, and he is meant to be worshiped and enjoyed by all peoples everywhere. And that because of what he's done and who he is, we are then to call for the nations to come and worship him. Now notice, the call here comes in response to God, in response to his blessing, in response to his rule, in response to his saving work being known among the nations. Worship is always a response to seeing what God has done. But the call then is to respond to that with praise. And praise is just the public confession. It's the public acknowledgement of who God is and what he has done. And so as 
the nations hear of what God has done in his saving work, they are then called and invited to respond in worship to him. In many ways, the psalm reminds us of the heart of what we are called to be and do as the church, that we are called to reach out to all people everywhere and invite them into relationship with God and to worship and magnify him because he is worthy of it. You and I were not only the means by which God brings the message of salvation to the world, but we are also the ones who seek to demonstrate to the world what a life lived in worship before God looks like, to glorify God with our lives and to invite others to come and to glorify him and find their purpose and their joy in him. Worship, the call for praise, is at the heartbeat of who we are as a community and everything we do both in what we do, not just on Sunday and what we do as a community, but even in why we seek to reach outside of our walls and invite all peoples to worship our God. Worship is the heart because God is meant to be praised among all peoples. Pastor John Piper, in his kind of seminal work on missions, actually reflects on this psalm. The title of his book is Let the Nations Be Glad, based on Psalm 67. But when he opens the book, he gives, I think, one of the most important quotes for why the church seeks to be the sort of place that calls all nations to worship God. This is what he writes. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and goal of missions. It's the goal of missions because in missions, we simply aim to bring the nations into the white-hot enjoyment of God's glory. The goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples in the greatness of God. What Piper reminds us here, and really what is the repeating chorus in the psalm, is that worship is central to the church and that the church is to call all people to come and enjoy God, to praise him for who he is and what he has done. Even the chorus reminds us of the importance of worship for us as a church. That part of what we do, even when we come together on Sundays, whether that's right now physically or virtually, that we gather every week to worship, to publicly and communally respond to who God is and what he has done and to invite all of those around us to come and see how good our God is, to see the saving work he's done in Jesus, and to worship with us, not just with our lips, but also with our very lives. Part of the work of the church and how we bless the nations is we call for them to come and worship our God. And this is why we seek to continue to raise up communities of God worshipers everywhere. Whether that's here in 
Metro Detroit, whether that's on the other side of the world, we plant churches, we labor to share the gospel, we seek to bring the truth of Jesus among the unreached because we believe that God is worthy of worship from every tribe and nation and people and tongue. And so we call them to worship. But finally, the psalm moves to its pinnacle in verse 4 and in many ways gives us the heart of what um, this psalm really moves us towards. So again, if you were to think of this like a psalm, verse 4 is, or a song, the, verse 4 is kind of like the bridge of the song, right? Everyone likes a good bridge. You lay down that kind of initial verse and you get the pattern going and you get that kind of catchy chorus, but there's something about the bridge, right? Where the vocals soar and the band amps up and the drummer slams the cymbals and it just kind of crescendos, right? If you think of that, verse 4 is like that crescendo bridge moment in the song. And as it reaches its kind of pinnacle crescendo moment, what does it do? It calls for celebration. Look at verse 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. The crescendo moment of the psalm is a call for a global party that enjoys the reality of God and the blessings that he brings to the world, that we are to be glad and to respond with singing and to celebrate together God's rule over the nations. See, that's another way that we continue to help bless the nations as we together celebrate God's rule over the nations. The pinnacle point of the psalm, what is celebrated, what is it that we are called to sing for joy, to be glad about? Well, it is God's rule. It is his judgment, his equity, his guidance over the nations that the ultimate blessing that God brings to the world is the establishment of his kingdom and his rule over all people. This is what we celebrate and what we sing for joy. If you even think of the ministry of Jesus, you see that the good news that is brought to the world is the news of God's kingdom and the establishment of his rule among the peoples. In fact, in Mark chapter 1, we get a great summary of Jesus' ministry when he comes. And Mark says this, he says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, right? The word gospel simply means good news. So Jesus comes into his ministry and he comes proclaiming good news for the people. What is that good news? That the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. So repent and believe in the good news. What we see time and again across the story of Scripture is the good news that God is bringing is that although our world has fallen into brokenness, that it's fallen into sin and disarray, that God, out of his love and kindness on the behalf of the nations of the earth, ultimately sends his son, his promised Messiah, to defeat sin and death and to establish God's kingdom, his righteous rule over the earth and restore. Store it back to his intended purposes. 
And that because God has promised to do that and has done that in Jesus, we are then called to celebrate, to see the establishment of King Jesus and his kingdom as a cause for celebration, that God would bring his rule back to the earth. Now, I understand that that might be a little bit of a tricky concept, right? Sometimes I think we're not always thought, we're, we're, we're sometimes trained to celebrate and to praise God for his salvation, but we're not often trained to really praise and see it as a celebration that God would establish his rule. But it's actually his rule that brings what we all desire and hope for. And when we see that, it should cause us to celebrate. You might think of it a little bit like this. Let me give you an illustration that might help you see why God's rule should be a cause for celebration. So imagine with me for uh, a moment two parents who decided that they uh, need a date night. And so, uh, you know, they have, they have a, a few kids at home and it's been long and they've been trapped in, in their house and so they decide, we, we need a night out, we need to go sit at a restaurant and enjoy some time together. And so they make some plans and they make some preparation. I know some of your parents right now, you're like, a date night, please, Lord Jesus, somebody help me out, right? But just imagine, so they make their plans, they're like, all right, we're gonna go, we're gonna, we're gonna take a night out. And so they, they find a babysitter to come to, to watch their kids and finally the night comes and they're, they're super pumped, they're super excited. And so the babysitter shows up at the house and, and they sit down and they say, hey, listen, here, here's kind of the rules of the house, here's kind of how things go. This is kind of our expectation. You know, you all have that talk when the babysitter first comes and then and then they they head out the door they're out for their night on the town now imagine in the house after that the babysitter as soon as the parents leave decides she pulls out her phone plops down on the couch and decides she's just going to ignore the kids for the rest of the night well pretty soon after a little while the siblings like most siblings do begin to pick at each other and begin to fight Pretty soon the house dissolves from order into complete chaos. There's arguing and bickering and doors are getting slammed and things are getting thrown. The babysitter just continues to sit there ignoring the whole thing. In fact, it actually gets worse at one point. One of the siblings comes up to the babysitter and says, hey, my brother just hit me. I need you to do something about it. And the babysitter not only ignores them, he actually takes the kid and shoves him to the ground and says, leave me alone. And pretty soon after a little while and a couple hours, the house is nuts. Right? Some, some of you can imagine what would happen if your kids were left to fend for themselves for a few hours. This isn't a hard scenario to pick and imagine, right? But suddenly, the kids hear the front door open. And the parents come back home. And suddenly, what was tears and sadness and frustration and anger give way because they're excited and there's a sprint to the door because what was chaos and madness, they know will now be turned into order and what is right. You see, when you realize that you're in an environment where chaos reigns, you long for order to be reestablished. You long for justice to come. You long for God's rule to show up in a world which is constantly in the mess of sin and brokenness. So the psalmist says, let the nations be glad and sing for joy because God is establishing his rule. 
God is bringing his kingdom to bear on the earth. How? He's doing it in and through Jesus Christ. And that in that day when Jesus gave his life to pay the penalty for our sin, to deal with our brokenness, he didn't just stay dead, but three days later he burst from the tomb to announce God's kingdom wins, God's justice is coming, this world is going to be set back to right. And that's the call to the nations to say, come now and celebrate because order is being restored. Justice is being restored. And there is a kingdom coming where there will not be racial injustice, where there will not be death and disease, where there will not be division and brokenness. There will be righteousness and goodness and justice for the nations and for the people. And that should cause us to celebrate. And in the meantime, yes, somebody give God praise in the house this morning for what he's done in Jesus. But in the meantime, you and I are then called to bring that message and be a light and blessing to the nation. They all might know the truth of what God is doing in Christ. See, the church is built for more. You and I, we're designed strategically by God to show the world what it looks like when a community of people live under his rule and reign. We are meant to display and to show to everyone when God is king of this community, there's value in each person regardless of the color of their skin. We care for one another regardless of what we go through. We use our resources not for our own benefit so we can build bigger houses and acquire more stuff, but so that we can bless those who suffer, that we can reach out to the marginalized, that we can continue to reach beyond our walls and invite everyone to experience the white hot enjoyment of God and his glory, what their souls long for. See, we're meant to live to bless and show the world how good God's kingdom is. And that's what I want to invite you into this morning. I want to invite us and continue to invite us to be a church that pursues that vision of more. Listen, when we talk about things like being committed to a life group, or being committed to weekly worship. That, that's what we're asking in this season. Let's commit to worshiping Jesus together each week and let's just commit to a group of people to love and care for and see how God can work through us to bless those around us. When we ask for those simple things, it's because we just want to be the sort of church that simply tries to show what it looks like when we live with Jesus as actual our Lord where we submit everything under him and we say, God, would you move amongst us to show others how good and awesome you are so that they can see and they can know that the hope we've found can be shared with those around us. So church, let's pray for God's favor. Let's pray for God's blessing. But let's do it in a way in which we seek to bless the peoples of the where we call for their praise and we celebrate how good our God is together. Even now, we're going to just take time to pray and sing and invite God's favor upon us. But before we do that, let me just pray for us. Lord Jesus, I just first just want to give you praise this morning that you are a God of blessing. 
God, in our sinfulness and brokenness, we don't deserve your favor. If anything, we deserve the opposite. We deserve your disfavor. But how great is your love and how amazing is your mercy and grace that we don't get what we deserve. But in Jesus Christ, we get your favor. We get your blessing. You provide for us, not just in this life, you provide for eternity that we might experience the joy of knowing you forever. And so we just stand in this moment together and just say, praise you, Lord Jesus, that you have shown us grace. Praise you that you have saved us. Praise you that you have brought us into reconciliation with you and one another. Thank you for that. God, I pray that you would help us to not be content just with your favor for ourselves. I pray that you would give us that holy discontent and desire to see all people enjoy the favor that you have in Christ Jesus. To be the sort of church that labors, that all nations everywhere would know you and worship you and enjoy a satisfying relationship with you. God, don't just do it for us. Do it for you because you're worthy of the praise of all people. You're worthy of the voices and lives of every single person on this earth because you are great. And so may blessing and honor and power and glory be to your name and would you work for the sake of your fame among the peoples of the earth. And may you be glorified in your church and in Christ Jesus forever, I pray. Even now, would you move amongst us as we just worship you? We ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.